Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and get all the details. And if you've got something cool working with v6, we definitely want to hear about it. So come join us on the IPv6 Buzz and uh, we'll get to hear about why it's all cool and what you're working with on v6. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffin and Scott Hogue. And today we're going to be chatting about IPv6 training at Ripe NCC with Jad El Cham. And uh, I don't know, let's jump into it because this is a new area for me. I don't know a lot about what Ripe is up to and and all of that. So maybe we start with what is Ripe and Ripe NCC and what do they do and all that other good details. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ed. Um, quick reminder, Ripe and Ripe NCC are two different things. If only I had a dollar for every time I had to explain the difference. So let me shed some light on the difference between Ripe and Ripe NCC. So uh, Ripe basically is an open forum. So it's not like a legal organization. It's not like a standardization uh, organization such as uh, the IETF or ICANN or so on. Um, uh, Ripe stands for Réseau IP Européen. Yes, it's a French name. And basically, as I said, it's a forum that is open to all parties that are interested in wide area IP networks. And it covers many different aspects and many different topics, not only IPv6, uh, stuff like around the routing, security, uh, address policies. So basically, uh, how do we allocate IP addresses in the RIPE region and so on and so forth. So what I'm trying to say is that anybody can join uh, the RIPE community itself. Now, the RIPE NCC is a different thing. The RIPE NCC is the secretariat for the RIPE community. So uh, RIPE began around 1989, while the RIPE NCC was founded as a legal entity and headquartered in Amsterdam uh, back in 1992. And fun fact, RIPE NCC is actually the first uh, RAR, Regional Internet Registry, in the world. All right. So uh, we do lots of things at the RIPE NCC. So basically, uh, we are known in the community as the IP people. So we hand out internet resource numbers, such as IPv4 addresses, IPv6 addresses, AS numbers. And we uh, host different services. Um, like reverse DNS, uh, we have, of course, the RIPE database, which uh, people might refer to as like the WHOIS databases. Um, we also have the Internet Routing Registry database, um, and we host also security services such as RPKI and so on and so forth. Okay, that makes sense to me. But, and maybe for some clarification, your role is directly with RIPE, correct, in terms of, in terms of your yes. position? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, sorry. Uh, with oh, RIPE, RIPE NCC. NCC. <laughs> yeah, yes, get that correct. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so RIPE NCC is a legal entity. It is an organization registered and has all of the by bylaws and, and all of this. Uh, the RIPE community, anyone can be, uh, anyone who has an interest um, in IP networks and basically has basic understanding of how mailing lists work is part of the RIPE uh, community. So basically, Ed, Tom, Scott, you guys can be part of the RIPE community if you think that you have some interest in the policy framework or, you know, in the service region of the RIPE NCC. If you think you can, you have an interest there, or if you can contribute in one way or another in one of the working groups, then you are part of the RIPE community. There are no formal membership for the RIPE community. 
Right, which has some parallels to the ITF, right, in terms of how they operate. And Aaron, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. that's cool. Uh, so let's, let's pivot, since you brought the topic up, <laughs> and talk a yeah. little bit about training, because one of the reasons that we were so, uh, Tom was so interested in, 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 uh, in getting you looped in was being able to sort of talk about what you guys are, are providing around the training side, and maybe a little bit of, of uh, where, where that came from and, and what your goal is around, around providing IPv6 training. Sure. So before I answer that and to explain a little bit why do we provide training, um, I'd like to revert back to our mission and vision at the RIPNCC. So if you take a look and try to Google what is the RIPNCC vision, it reads, uh, together let's shape the future of the Internet. As simple and basic as it is. And then uh, in our mission statement, one of the points there talks, it refers to the NCC being a new a neutral source of information and knowledge and that we actively contribute to the stability and evolution of the Internet. So out of this mission statement, that part of the mission statement, we try to offer a diverse portfolio of services to our membership base. And one way we think that we can help our community and our members is through delivering training courses. Now, this isn't something new. We've been delivering training courses ever since 2000, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, at the very beginning, we were basically trying to help uh, our community understand, like, how can they be part of, uh, how can they become a better LAR? How do they manage the databases? How do they get the resources? How they can ask for their PV4 addresses, their ASN numbers? How do they register it and derive database? And so on and so forth. And as I mentioned before, we try to get the feedback of the community and we try to listen to what they need, right? And this is how we build our services and this is how we try to, uh, you know, build our strategy forward. And as we were engaging more and more with the RIPE members, we started listening to them. They wanted trainings on IPv6, on DNSSEC, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so we decided back in 2009, to start delivering a, a basic IPv6 training course. So we said, okay, um, there's more demand around IPv6 and the community. If you guys remember around that time, uh, IANA, who holds you know, uh, the uh, IPv4 space, they were running pretty low on IP addresses. So their pool was like 10%. They only had like 10% of the IPv4 space still left to allocate. So uh, that, this topic, like uh, running out of IPv4 and the transition of IPv6 was becoming more and more prevalent in the community, notably in the uh, service region that the RIPE NCC serves. And this is where the idea behind starting to giving training on top of uh, IPv6 came. So uh, since we distribute IPv6 addresses and we have a lot of contacts with our members, we know a thing or two about IP addresses, right? And we can understand back then that there might have been some challenges uh, like changing the mindset between IPv4 and IPv6, um doing uh, addressing plans you know uh, we had some organizations uh, that had to move from a couple public ipv4 addresses to you know large spaces in ipv6 so that 
th- that was a challenge on its own, right? How to come up with an addressing plan, how to uh, distribute the addresses and so on and so forth. So this is how uh, the IPv6 training uh, started. And then as the as we grew in our services, as the community started to become even more mature in IPv6 and demanded more from us, we decided to introduce an advanced IPv6 course. And that was around 2014. So this is where we started talking, deep diving a little bit about uh, topics like IPv6 and uh, routing protocols. How do you configure it in OSPF and uh, BGP? Um, uh, how do you do uh, DNS, uh, IPv6 and DNS, uh, IPv6 uh, like DHCPv6 servers? What are the considerations there? Uh, and we started also touching topic uh, on some security topics. And that continued for a couple of years. And uh, we kept listening to the demands from our members and they kept asking for more security stuff. And we decided in 2017 to introduce a new course, uh, quite an advanced course, which is focused on uh, IPv6 security. So what are the different uh, security, how can I say, vectors? Uh, that can be leveraged in order to mount attacks and how can how we can understand them better and how we can protect our networks uh, when it comes to these types of attacks. So uh, these were uh, the training courses that we deliver in face-to-face, right? But that that isn't the only thing that we offer. In parallel to this, we also do webinars, which are, you know, our uh, good old friendly webinars, online, uh, small uh, talks, like one hours, two hours. Sometimes you do like three hours back to back, etc. And these targeted some specific IPv6 things, such as how do you build an addressing plan IPv6? How do you register your IPv6 allocations and assignments in the right database? Um, how do you do subnetting in IPv6, you know, like targeted things, uh, also for security purposes, like what are the security threats related to the architecture of IPv6 itself, or some myth and legends around IPv6 security, right? We've all heard uh, some myth around that, so we try to demystify it as much as possible. And these were quite popular, and, you know, it gained a lot, a, a lot more popularity in the last few years due to the uh, pandemic. And also in parallel to all of this, we have a very popular uh, offering, which is the online academy, which you you guys might have stumbled upon. And this is where basically we offer a self-paced uh, training course so that anyone, not on, uh, it's not only restricted to our members, so anyone can register on the academy. And we provide a series of online courses that uh, anyone basically can follow. It's self-paced, very detailed courses, very nicely written and, you know, uh, developed uh, according to the ADI model. Uh, you know, like high quality material there. At least we try to deliver high quality materials. And we also cover IPv6, uh, the fundamentals of IPv6 there. So uh, yeah, in a nutshell, this is like a little bit about the history of our uh, training services and uh, specifically more on the IPv6 uh, side of this training. Uh, We also offer other 
uh, topics like uh, in our training courses, such as we talk about BGP, we talk about uh, how can, we can run measurements uh, on top of the internet. Uh, we operate a big um, a network of probes across the world. Uh, it's open for everyone to use. So we try to explain how we can monitor, how we can use this network in order to run measurements, uh, do traffic analysis, these kind of things. Um, we used to give training courses around DNS, uh, DNSSEC specifically. Now we shove this a bit uh, on the side. Um, so yeah, we, we try our best to help our membership with whatever they need. Right. And IPv6 was always a hot topic. So naturally, we found uh, a need for us to step in and try to help as much as we can in that regards. Yeah, I'm curious, the uh, the there's there's a tremendous focus there on, on a lot of different technologies, like broad, really a broad focus on a lot of different technologies. And of course, here at the IPv6 Buzz, we're always interested in, in hearing about IPv6 deployment successes. And, and one of the things that I think is sort of a, a, a continuous theme where we talk about things like, like the training and, uh, and the, those things that those activities are related to like sort of boosting public knowledge of a new technology. And then, then the sort of back end question that arises out of, out of that effort is like, how, how effective is this? Do we, you know, can, can we point to successes or do we get feedback? Is one of the things that, that I'm always sort of, you know, trying to trying to determine is uh, how effective has the training been based on how it's impacted IPv6 deployment in the real world. And uh, I don't, you know, it's one of those things that's maybe difficult to measure, but at least, you know, anecdotally being able to point to, you know, one or two folks that have, have come back to you to say, you know, this training was really instrumental in in helping us get over the hump of like IPv6 subnetting or, or address planning. Do you, do you, have you encountered that? Do you have some folks that have come back to, you know, sort of check in to say, hey, this has been really helpful for us. It gets some sense of what the impact to the to the ripe community is with the adoption of IPv6. Definitely. Um, as you said, sometimes is it's not as evident like to measure this uh, as one might think, but uh, we, we tend to look at some indicators. I'll give you an example. In our service region, we currently have around 23,000 members in the ripe NCC. Right. And out of these 23,000, almost 17,000 of these members, which we call LARs, they have IPv6 in one way or another. So at least they requested their allocations. And um, I can tell you that many, many times during our courses, we have members who never had an IPv6, never touched an IPv6 address before, they come out, uh, They come to us during the breaks and they ask us, can you help us request our allocations? So uh, we would be sitting next to them, opening a ticket on their behalf, asking them to get, uh, requesting their uh, slash 29 or slash 32 back in the days. So um, there are some cases where we could see an immediate um, result of our work. You know, we have different people who come to the training courses and they come for different reasons. So in some cases, there are people who are quite experts in IPv6 and they attend the training courses in order to try to find what are the best current practices out there, you know? So they are not there to receive help in deploying IPv6. And uh, this is hard to measure and to quantify like, oh, what are you bringing more to them or if the training course helped them 
if it moved the needle in one way or another. But in many places, in many cities around our service region, we see a direct impact. We see networks that never had IPv6 before. We see them requesting their IPv6 allocations. We start seeing assignments being created in the right database. We start seeing BGP announcements for their IPv6 prefixes. Um, I always make it the case, for example, uh, to share my uh, my email address at the end of the training courses. And I can tell you that sometimes I receive emails saying, hey, uh, Jad, do you remember you gave a training course in that city back like seven years ago or so? Uh, we have a question for you. You know, we did this, this, this and that. Uh, we think you can help us with this. Can you shed some light or give us some information, et cetera? So we do this. Um, one way of our engagement as well is not only with the technical community per se, but we also go and talk with different stakeholders. So in the last 10 years, but more specifically in the last five, six years, we see that the landscape of our membership has shifted. So back in the days, it was more around, you know, technical engineers, uh, service providers, uh, maybe some research institutions. But now more and more we see um, governments joining us, the regulators joining us, law enforcement agencies, um, uh, financial institutions, banking, etc. So in many cases, we also engage with these stakeholders. So uh, while our training courses might lead, let's say, to an increase in IPv6 adoption for service providers, but it can also help uh, the regulators, for example, to understand the matter and formulate better policies around IPv6. Um, or, for example, we had an offering at some point in time to talk with the financial institutions. There's like an important need for IPv6 for the banks, uh, for any financial transaction to happen, right? Uh, I mean, in the world of today. So, uh, and I'll give you an example here in the Middle East and the Gulf region. We took it upon ourselves to to go and meet with the representatives of central banks and the major financial institutions in a number of countries. And we sat with them, we helped them understand the need to transition towards IPv6. And we were happy to see that there were some results out of this work, right? Uh, we started seeing more announcements in that area. We started seeing more interest in that area. Even in some countries we've been to, um, we, we heard back later on that uh, the service providers who attended, the financial institutions who attended, and in some cases also some governmental uh, agencies who attended our training courses, they reverted back and they started asking for a better framework, like a national framework or a national task force uh, for IPv6 and so on and so forth. So while it's not always evident uh, how you can measure the success of a certain training course, we definitely receive good feedback. And usually we run a survey in our community uh, asking, like, what do you think of our services? And I can tell you that for when it comes to the learning and development services, there's always one answer. We, we need more training more training, more topics, more training, and a high level of satisfaction. So we're quite happy uh, in this regards. So I guess one of my questions would be, since since you get visibility sort of across the spectrum of, of participants in RIPE, 
who do you think the primary demographic is for the participants around your training? And where do you see the gaps in terms of those that maybe aren't participating, but probably should? <laughs> that, that's a million dollar question. Look, um, I'm not sure where to start. So typically back in the days, we would think that, you know, when you when need to talk about IPv6, we need to talk about service providers, big ISPs, you know, like uh, the Deutsche Telekoms and the Orange and, you know, and for a long time, uh, the content was geared toward these type of people. So, uh, you know, uh, tech geeks uh, who, who go like hardcore, hardcore uh, technical. Um, we also at some point in time started uh, to address decision makers. So we had like some materials, some brochures, or uh, like, how can you convince the decision makers to move towards IPv6? Because uh, unfortunately, we also noticed that there was a gap between um, the technical people and the upper management, and the message was not going through. Like, yeah, IPv6 is there; it's super nice, but we cannot get our managers or you know the the business manager to sign on on the transition or the migration project. So we also try to to address this. But also, I have to say uh, say one thing here: our service region is vast. So we cover not only Europe, we have Europe, we have uh, Central Asia, we have uh, the Middle East, we have the Gulf, the Levant, uh, Russia, Turkey, Iran, all of these countries. So around like, I think, a little bit north of 80 countries, different countries. And you can imagine that um, the level of IPv6 maturity is not the same across different regions. Even within the same region, uh, you, you'll find big discrepancies. So not only we, we look at, uh, demographics like, okay, we need to talk to managers, uh, we need to talk to, uh, uh, to the tech people, but we also need to differentiate how we talk to uh, the tech people who, let's say, that are based in Germany, where there's a very high level of IPv6 adoption or Belgium, uh, or the Netherlands or, and how we can address this technical topic in other countries where only 1% of the traffic there is based on IPv6. So there's a big gap horizontally and vertically. Um, in addition, as I mentioned, in the last few years, we started identifying that there are different stakeholders, namely law enforcement agencies, uh, governments and regulators and governmental agencies. So I can give you an example. And, uh, you know, one of the drivers around the adoption of IPv6 in Belgium, uh, I, you guys might have heard of it. So in Belgium, it was one of the first countries that had a high adoption rate of IPv6. And that's because there, there was a very active community over there. But also at some point, the law enforcement agencies over there, they managed to push a policy that says that from now on, and if you're using IPv4 and you're doing NAT or CGNAT, you cannot put more than, for example, 16 private addresses behind one public IP address, which basically is killing the, the whole uh, economy of scale behind, uh, you know, NATing, right? And that was a big motivation for everyone there, whether it's the service provider or the government or, or the companies in order to, to move towards IPv6. 
So in other countries, I can tell you out of a personal experience, we worked at some point with the law enforcement agencies because they requested some IPv6 training. And then uh, they understood the need to move towards there. And they started to do some sort of lobbying inside the the, uh, the country with the service providers, uh, with the regulators, etc. And they they managed at least to push the adoption of IPv6 in the, uh, within the telco incumbent there, right? So in some other areas, this role was for the central banks and the financial institutions especially in economies that uh, depend a lot on uh, financial transactions or that are financial hubs, IPv6 is important there. In some other countries, we started engaging more with uh, telecom operators, mobile operators, and uh, especially with the adoption of 5G and so on, uh, IPv6 plays an important role there. So uh, to circle back to your initial question, there are gaps horizontally and vertically. And we're trying to address address these gaps by engaging with as many stakeholders as possible. And trust me, it's a difficult task because you cannot have the same message for everyone. You know, uh, each stakeholder has a different interest and we try to gear our training courses towards them. So if we go back to the IPv6 training course, we have IPv6 training courses, you know, the, the standard one that we give to the technical people. We have IPv6 for financial institutions, like what are the benefits there? We have IPv6 for the regulators. They come to us or the governmental agencies. They are more interested in how we can build, how they can build an addressing plan. You know, so how does, for example, the regulator in one country, if they get a big uh, address space, how can they distribute it and sub allocate it towards the different uh, cities, the different municipalities, etc. They need help there. So the needs are different. And we try our best to help as much as possible. I like hearing how, you know, the training classes have changed, you know, over the years. Initially, it was probably, you know, the training classes of regarding how to obtain your IPv6 addresses and how to advertise it with yeah. EGP. Now your training yep. classes are are moving along and, and continuing to evolve to help other roles like security uh, or, or these specific use cases or these, you know, other groups. What might be the next classes that you might be developing? Maybe a class for application developers or maybe a, a class on troubleshooting? What are... What do you think are some future classes oh. that you're working on? Uh, um, so our target right now, uh, and this is something that we always keep doing, and we had a meeting about this actually in the team today. Uh, once the training course is out there, it's not like uh, us, we stop working on it. Actually, mm -hmm. we moved away from just like, uh, you know, being technical people, talking to technical uh, people. And we started to build a better learning experiences. So mm -hmm. a few years back, we hired visual designers, we hired uh, learning designers, and we try to enhance the quality of our uh, courses. So, for example, we have an advanced IPv6 course that we're actively delivering it. So this year will be all about revamping our IPv6 offering. 
So how can we, uh, we, we, we always update, you know, uh, our training courses to, to keep up with the technologies, keep up with the RFCs and the standards. Mm-hmm. But uh, every few years we try to uh, reevaluate. Like, are people still interested in, you know, how do you subnet IPv6? Or the topic of, uh, you know, IPv6 uh, within the 3GPP context is more important now. So we try to shift our attention to where our membership is interested, you know. So this year, uh, this is our target. So we're, uh, it's not about introducing new courses, but uh, taking like an overview, uh, revamping our existing training courses. Right. We just recently launched a BGP course, for example, and uh, another course on Internet governance. So we, we always work on new content, but uh, at the same time, we also work on ensuring that our the participants who take our courses uh, that we deliver on the learning experience. Sometimes it means, for example, uh, when we when we went online, like full scale online, and we had our training courses go on the academy, we had to revamp the messaging. Like how you deliver the content in a face to face setting is way different than how you deliver the content in a, uh, the same material, but in a self paced format. So we try to enhance this as much as possible. We're always open, uh, open to new suggestions. We hear some input coming from the uh, community around uh, IoT. So uh, to maybe training courses around IoT, but this is like a big topic. Like, uh, is it uh, like on the connectivity part of IoT? Is it on the security part of IoT? Um, security and especially routing security is always a big uh, topic that comes our way, especially now with the RPKI. So we are also spending some time on it. But uh, when it comes to IPv6 uh, in 2023, uh, our our strategy is to reevaluate our approach to IPv6 trainings. So what are the topics that we, um, that we are covering and try to create a storyline that spans from the basic course to the advanced course towards the expert, uh, expertise and the IPv6 security course. Uh, we are developing labs. So they, they already exist, but we keep on developing, adding new exercising, uh, enhancing the infrastructure where basically people can uh, download the labs on their laptops, run them, check, uh, and then, you know, uh, we check if everything is working. This is part of our uh, face-to-face training courses, but also uh, mainly part of our online course, uh, online academy courses. So, uh, yeah, the, this is our strategy for this year. Among other things, uh, of course. Keeping IPv6 training materials updated <laughs> takes a lot of time because, yeah, you might have built oh, a class or, or had some topics on IoT and now, oh, now we have to update our training material to cover matter or, oh, <laughs> a new RFC comes out that uh, yep. you know, obsoletes yes, an exactly. old RFC. Now we have to go back and correct and adjust. So, yeah, it's. And things can happen quite quickly, so <laughs> oh, yes. it takes effort to oh, keep yes. it updated and modern. Yeah, that, that's why also we make it the case for for us to attend uh, meetings such as the IETF, 
So we keep an eye on what happens in the uh, V6 Ops or the V6 Man uh, maintenance working groups. Um, I take it upon myself as well to keep an eye on what's happening in the uh, 3GPP world with GSMA and the other organizations there to try to understand like uh, like these new things that are being developed on top of IPv6. How does it affect our membership base? How does it uh, affect our training course? And uh, sh- where should we update? Like, uh, where should we focus? Mm-hmm. We cannot deliver everything, right? As you might know, uh, we cannot cover everything. So we have to pick and choose the topics that are of interest to our uh, community. So there's, for example, uh, there's um, we hear more and more about uh, SRV6, mm-hmm. uh, segment routing over V6. Uh, and we started receiving more requests about that. Like, uh, sh- and we ask ourselves, should we start covering these type, uh, type of topics? Uh, metro WANs, these kind of things, the effect of IPv6 on stuff like uh, SD WANs uh, and these kind of uh, these kind of stuff. So we try to keep up with the uh, technical developments, and we try to filter, uh, you know, the information to find what is useful for our membership base at that point in time. Next year, things might change, of course, and yeah, it's a uh, uh, it's a it's a fun job. Let me put it this way. Try a, it's a fun job. I mean, you're you're covering a wide array <laughs> of topics. It sounds like, especially in the V6 side, I don't think people realize how much V6 uh, touches from a from a overall technology basis. So it sounds like you guys are really trying to, you know, you know, sort of cover the the widest angle possible. I mean, do you think there's um, smaller topics that you haven't had a chance to sort of hit yet that are on your list of of things? You mentioned SRV6, but I know there's there's other stuff that might be of, of of interest, and if you're if you're getting hit up in in one area versus the other, we sort of like to we sort of like to hear about it, especially for our audience. They might be interested in, in going and and uh, and doing some investigation. Yeah. If you're if you have any thoughts, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, here I'll be talking about IPv6 specifically because, as I said, we all also touch base on other topics such as BGP, uh, RPKI, DNS, etc. But in terms of IPv6, of course, we would like to do more. Um, for example, a lot of our training courses and basically what is there out there in the market uh, today, um, they focus on the infrastructure level, right? So networks, etc. But we are seeing more and more protocols being developed, um, especially at the application level. So today, the application, the people like the uh, like the la- layer seven, uh, layer seven uh, people, they are writing code that controls the network. We started seeing applica- like for example DNS over uh, HTTPS or these kind of things where the application can, the browser can select its own uh, DNS uh, provider or whatever, bypassing what the network might be configured to use as uh, as a DNS server. We started seeing more and more of this trend where the application people are saying, you know, the layer seven landscape is moving way faster than layer three, so please, we will be taking control over. Uh, you know, the steering wheel uh, in some way or another. So I would like to, uh, we would love to spend more time um, exploring this. So uh, how, 
well, what does it mean for application people? Uh, you know, at the, at the very beginning when we were uh, giving the training courses and we would talk with the participants and we asked them, why aren't you moving to, uh, to IPv6 yet? A very common answer was, oh, we had IPv6, uh, IPv4 uh, laterals hard-coded in the application for different reasons. For monitoring, for logging pay, uh, bases, for control bases, etc. So, uh, and we saw that there was a discrepancy between, you know, the network people and the application people. So, this is an interesting area to to explore. Another area that we would like to focus a little bit more, and that's the target of the revamping of IPv6 that we're launching this year, is how can IPv6 play uh, within mobile networks? Right, because as you can imagine, um, a small rural ISP, let's say in uh, um, in Lebanon, Lebanon is part of our service region. When it comes to IPv6, its need for IPv6 is different than what Reliance Geo in India might use IPv6 for, or how they deploy it, or how they provision it. So historically, we didn't cover a lot around uh, mobile operators. We did, but as you guys uh, realize, uh, the mobile landscape is changing all the time. 3G, then 4G, now 5G, uh, actively talking about uh, 6G as well right now. So we would like also to to focus a little bit more uh, in that space. IoT is always there. Uh, we do engage, uh, we have a working group around uh, IoT and the Bribe community, and we see IPv6 playing a big role there. So I would like to work more around these topics. But yeah, I, yeah. so, what, but, you know, what, there's a lot of things, a lot of things, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> Limited well, number uh, of resources. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe uh, very briefly give us an uh, give the folks an idea if they want to participate with Ripe and they want to be able to provide uh, some information and feedback uh, to you folks. How what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, there, there are different channels. Like uh, we are, we we like to think of ourselves as very friendly people. So whenever we are present in any meeting, even for example, you, you refer to uh, to Aaron. So as you might know, Aaron organizes there. There are the Nanog meetings for North America. So there's always people from from the RIPE NCC at the Nanog meetings, but also for the meetings in the other area regions. So if you come across us at one of these meetings at the IATF at other uh, events, please reach out to us. Also, and here I reiterate, if anyone would like to contribute to the work being done within the RIPE community, you are more than welcome to do so. So uh, you just go to Google and you try to search for uh, the RIPE working groups. So within the RIPE community, uh, there are working groups that are organized around topics such as IPv6, security, database, address policies, uh, and so on, abuse, you know, and so on and so forth. So, uh, and there's there's a very active IPv6 working group. So, for, if anyone is interested in contributing, all they have to do is just subscribe to the mailing list. And, uh, you know, you can share ideas, you can engage with the community, uh, they can even start coming to the right meetings that we have twice a year. Anyone is welcome. Anyone. And we actually encourage this. 
And it doesn't have to be that these folks have to be living in one of the countries in our service region. They can be anywhere in the world as long as they have basic understanding of how they can register to a mailing list. It's as easy as that. Awesome. Well, hey, unlike V6, we've run out of space for this podcast. Thanks to today's guest, Jad El-Chum. How can the audience follow you on the internet? How can they get a hold of you? Oh, uh, so I do have a Twitter account, but I have to admit I'm not that active there. Um, so uh, they can search for my name, Chad Al-Sham. Um, I am uh, on, you know, the usual suspects on Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, please, if anyone would like to reach out to us, if anyone has an idea about how we can enhance things, we'd be more than happy to sit and talk and discuss. And thank you guys for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. You can also reach us, um, the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. And you can hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom's back on Twitter at IPv6 Tom. Uh, you can hit up Scott at, at Scott Hogue. And I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like this show, please give us a rating on iTunes. If you like the podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over packetpushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.